God just reaching out and being like, stop reading the news. Stop reading the weather on your podcast, please. Well, people want to know what is a flash drought? Well, apparently it has something to do with like the depth of soil moisture. Moisture. So we haven't seen decent amounts of rain since April, which is very unusual for um, Chicago in the springtime. Yeah. I used to work for a company that sold uh, soil moisture readers to oh, people. Oh, cool. Or gauges, moisture gauge. And people would always call us and be like, how do I use this thing to gauge the moisture of my soil? Like, what's the baseline? And we're like, oh, the baseline is like whatever you want it to be. You just have to set it to that. And then that's what you are gauging, mm. which is very like open-ended and not very satisfying answer. Yeah, like you like if your plant needs to have like a certain level of moisture all the time, then you set that as the baseline and anything below that means you need to water it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um what was I? Gonna... I used to work for a thermometer company. Do you remember those days? Was that in San... ther... Was that in San Diego? Thermometer factory. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um it was pretty good. You are one of those people who have had you're like me, you've had so many jobs. Yeah. And when you try to explain to people, they just think about how that's possible. Like when I'm like, oh, yeah, I have experience in that. How? Well, I had that job. Oh, I have experience in that. It's the great thing about being a generalist. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm like a big fan of being a generalist. I am. I think that they are undervalued in our society. They are. And you're not supposed to be a generalist. You're supposed to pick something when you're 22 years old and you're supposed to do that for, you know, or at least our our parents generation was like, pick something when you're 23 and then do that for the next 40 years. And and I feel like there's some crazy statistic about how many times people change their careers in their life. It's like 11 times or something. Hmm. Um, I'm like very curious about it now. Yeah, my friend, my friend Joe's dad, I was over there for New Year's Eve. And, you know, there's a classic like, oh, what do you do for or I think I mentioned, which is my favorite thing to mention that I used to be a massage therapist. And they're like, oh, is that what you do now? I'm like, oh, no, I'm like a, I'm in a um, I'm like a field service engineer. And, they're, and they like I like to tell those two things because people can't really connect the dots. And it seems very confusing. And I'm like, well, I could lay it out for you. Yeah, but it's going to it's going to take a while. Uh, um, The average person will switch careers three to seven times over their working lives, with 30% of the workforce changing vocations or jobs every 12 months. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Uh, my my favorite career thing to tell is Trevin's career story about how You know, he was a very successful, very good bartender for almost 20 years and then went back to school to become an aerospace engineer with a minor in astrophysics. Yeah. Yeah. If that's not a pivot. (laughs) Um, it's, It's awesome. Go ahead. I love these like questions that people also ask on Google. Um, what are the statistics? So I wrote statistics about career changes. That's that was my prompt. And then I wrote, and then now it's saying, what are, what do people also ask? What are the statistics on job switching? How many years does the average person change jobs? How many times will millennials change careers? And then lastly, is changing careers stressful? 
<laughs> changing careers is not stressful if you habitually do it every like two to three years. Right. And then, then it's just a thing. Yeah. And then at that point, uh, like keeping a career is stressful Right. at that point. Oh my God. I know. Staying interested. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. I mean, hi, welcome to an entire generation with severe ADHD. Right. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I'm like interested in staying with my current job is like for the first time I paid a living wage. So that's like the only reason I would stick with this job. Yep. That's and pretty cool. Also, like for three weeks in a row for no reason, I just haven't had any work. Uh, and so I'm just been at home going surfing, going yeah. for runs. But then like out. in like a in like a month, you're going to be like at a job site for like like 23 days like in kansas or something uh i always go home on the weekends but yeah i mean my i spoke to my the director of my department and he was like well you shouldn't feel bad about all this time off because we don't feel bad about sticking you out in the field for like 18 weeks at a time so yeah so just just go for it i i was telling my manager i was like it's kind of like you know if you don't win the lottery like the huge lottery but win like a lesser lottery and you're just chilling and you're just getting like a getting like paid like a thousand bucks every week. Mm-hmm. It's like what it's like that's tuition. That's what it feels like. Yep. 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 But it but it's true that I will have to go back to work and it's gonna suck. And then I'll be ready to get a new career. <laughs> Moral of the story, everybody. Work sucks. Work sucks. Just keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Speaking so of, do this- I was gonna say. Speaking of moving on, should we do this? Uh, should we do this movie thing? Let's fucking do this shit. Uh, For anybody who isn't already aware, which is everyone, we have tried to record this episode. This is now, I would say, time 2.5 because we had an immediate failure thanks to my um, weird webcam setup. So um, this this would be 3.5, actually. Is it really? Because the last time we met, there was like two. We tried twice. That's true. And then we tried. This is our third time well and then it crashed (laughs) but we're here we're here we're here we're out here here we are and we we what are we talking about today well this is a podcast called we're spanning time and in this podcast we're two old friends who've known each other for a million years and we like to bullshit about books and movies and stuff but we are exploring films of a particular year and this season's year is 1995 my name is bud catino your name is beth martini it is indeed. Oh, I just did it. I just did it for you this time. Yeah, you did. Let's go. That's okay. Cool. Uh, today's episode is Billy Madison and Mallrats. <laughs> um, <laughs> real quick, I've been wanting to do this, but we've we've kind of been blowing past it. Are you reading or watching or listening to anything fun or making anything cool? Yeah. Recently, just like let's do this for like a couple minutes. But, yeah, absolutely. But, hey, so this is fun to talk about. It is fun to talk about, especially now that it's summer break, right? Because it's not just mm-hmm. like the mundane boring stuff of academia even though my <laughs> academia is pretty cool it still can get a little tedious i, I don't think uh neither of us have mundane lives like <laughs> you're you're a, a late 30s academic person going through like a design career uh-huh and i'm uh you could describe me as a philip k dick style sci-fi assassin (laughs) maintenance guy Uh uh-huh exactly person precisely yeah um so i actually feel like i have a bajillion things going on right now um 
I got an internship, which is super awesome. I'm going to be working with the Polish Museum of America, um, doing archival work for their poster collection. Um, that is something that we could actually probably devote an entire episode to is talking about Polish movie posters because they are epic. They're so rad. And like, maybe we can do like a, like, maybe that would be like a fun YouTube episode is to like go through Polish movie posters and talk about them. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I, I'm just trying to get back into the habit of reading for leisure. So I decided to start rereading the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin, which is absolutely fantastic. I think I talked about it in a different episode. So I'm really excited to be getting back into that. Um, I am also... I. I have a love of Halloween that Trevin does not share. And every year I'm like, I'm going to build us like the coolest costumes. And then you're going to dress up with me. And then you're going to love Halloween. <laughs> um, and, and you don't have to do anything. I will do all the shit. Yes. And, and that's literally the arrangement is like, he's like, uh, okay, well, if I don't have to do anything, I'll do it. Yeah. So, but this year, this year I am actually doing it and I'm building us custom Mandalorian armor out of EPS foam. Um, so I started my first prototype helmet this week and I'm going to work on that after we're done recording. Um, so like I'm working out like some of the kinks and like how the foam works and all that stuff. And it's really exciting. And then I'm going, are you, are you shaping, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Are you shaping this stuff with like a hot wire like that? No. So uh, EPS foam is like kind of the same stuff as yoga mats. It's like a little bit stiffer than yoga mat material. Oh, I, I know. I know from EPS. That's okay. Uh, you, you can make surfboards out of it. Oh, really? Also. That's crazy. Yep. So mm-hmm. I'm actually using like I'm only I'm using six mil. So it's already pretty flexy. But then I'm mm-hmm. I'm pushing it into shape using heat gun. So oh, like neat. heat it up, get it into the, the shape. Uh, and then I'm using contact cement to like get it to actually be a whole unit um and you know armor is just another type of you know outerwear so there's like the kind of classic clothing techniques involved with it you know you have to understand darts and curves and forms and stuff like that so that's been pretty fun um i also i you know do a lot of like casual pinteresting um, just like for mood boards and design ideas and stuff. And one day over the winter, I came across this idea of a um, no waste jacket. So it's like you take one big square and then you cut it strategically and sew it strategically and you make this kind of cool, like sort of shapeless, it's called a bog coat, a bog jacket. Um, so when we went to Wisconsin this last weekend, um, we, I like went to the thrift store and found a bunch of really cool, like old vintage blankets. So I'm going to make some coats out of these old vintage blankets. Um, and then I'm going to Mexico on Sunday. So like life went from being really dull and boring for me to actually being pretty cool and fun right now. 
that's super exciting. Yeah. Uh, How about you? Yeah. Like I said before, I think uh, surf is up this week here in New York City. So I surfed a couple times. The first time was on Monday. I just woke up and checked the surf report and it looked really good. And I went and it was fucking fantastic. Awesome. It was perfect. Uh, like three, four foot peeling lefts. And I just paddle out there. I hadn't surfed for like, I think last time I was in San Diego, I surfed. It wasn't even very good. So it's been like a few months. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was great. Just like. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a longboarder more or less. And I just, it was the sort of ways where you could just like pop up, get into trim, which is like the proper balance on your surfboard. Just, and just like stand like contrapposto pose, like a statue and just fucking like stand there and fucking like cruise down the line. Yeah. That it rolls. was great. It was really great. And, uh, yeah, the surfers in New York city are, seem to be nice right there at, at Rockaway. Um, people are nice. And I don't know. I was so excited. I'm just like middle-aged guy surfing and like, I saw dolphins. Dolphin dolphins was very exciting. What? That's um, so tight. Yeah, dolphins was fucking sick. Uh, yeah, that was really really good. And then the next day I came back and it wasn't that good. But I, I have a newfound thing, which is this thing called skateboarding. Yeah, that I'm yeah. learning how to do. I decided recently. Actually, I was in San Diego and I just saw a skateboard deck at the thrift store, and I said, "I'm going to do this." I've always wanted to, and I've always regretted not learning how to skateboard. And um, I'm smart enough to I just wear all the all the pads. Yeah, and I eat shit every time. Amazing. Uh, but I'm good at falling from surfing and from from rock climbing that I do. So yeah, uh, did a bunch of skateboarding. I'm not very good, but doesn't, uh, you don't have to be. Like, doesn't matter. Doesn't you matter. don't have to be good at it. If it's fun, you that's know? right. That's right. And I'll, I'll get, I'll get good at it. I'm, I can, I can tell that like once I unlock like a handful of tricks, like it'll just, uh, pick up exponentially. Oh, for um, sure. And the thing is, is your surfing and rock climbing experience just like lends you to it already oh. because like you already understand your, your center of gravity. You understand like moving, on something rather than moving through your own propulsion like walking is way different than standing on a moving object and going forward right right that's the part my body is like wait what like it does not compute like at all my body is like no but you're an object in uh, an object at rest stays at rest so my body tries to stay in the position it was in when you start and then the board just keeps going from underneath me yeah it doesn't work it's like my (laughs) it's like when i try to do um you know i don't know geometry the same thing happens like i cannot play pool very well at all because my Mm. brain just doesn't it like has some sort of I think it's probably a symptom of some sort of undiagnosed dyslexia or something in that same sort of processing center. But like angles, translating angles is something that is so hard. So like the fact that you surf, which is really cool, but the fact that you're just like, fuck it. I'm in my early 40s and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fucking learn how to skateboard like that rules. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm super excited. And it's annoying because now I just like watch board building uh, tutorials online and yep. also just watching skateboarding teenagers online and also in person. So I'm a little bit of a lurker, but I'm just I'm sorry for you kids out there that I'm staring at, but I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. I love a skateboarding um, video. I'm not going to lie. That's that's oh, that San Diego roots coming through hot. It, it truly is. It truly is. Um, in other news, I picked up this book called uh, Mordu. Oh, 
I'll show you the thing. Oh, I like that cover uh, a lot. Everybody yeah, he's a showing cover. a cool cover right now. Yeah, by Alex Phoebe Mordu. Amazing. Um, the first blurb, uh, the first sentence in the blurb on the back says, God is dead. His corpse is hidden in the catacombs beneath Mordu. And it's like... Uh, so it's like Nietzschean, but uh, fantasy sci-fi vibes. Just much more entertaining and well-written than Nietzsche, I would say. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really fucking fun. It's like a grimy, creepy, wet, dirty underworld. And there's all these fucking very richly concocted characters and i was trying to tell rachel about it but rachel's not a reader so she she just gets really bored looking but uh i was saying like uh, even though the characters are are outlandish and unrealistic their interactions are very real mm, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. um which i just i just fucking love a sci-fi or fantasy book where the interact you can tell that unlike a lot of sci-fi writers and fantasy writers, you can tell that this author has had interactions with real human beings before. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that. Yes. Uh, as opposed to, I just read some desperate, some desperate glory by Emily Tesh, which was billed as a queer sci-fi space opera. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting, but there was a literal deus ex machina, like an actual god, like, like AI god thing that transported what? the characters at, spoiler alert, transports the characters out of danger at the end. And it's like a literal godlike AI. That's a computer thing. And I was like, I can't tell if she's doing this for fun um, or not. It's a very serious book. But mm. there's a lot of like wacky time jumping hijinks. Mm. Like it's too wacky. It's very wacky it's in the like, way that it's created. It's but like it's a little too Doctor Who. Um, yeah, but it's not funny. It like takes oh. itself very seriously. So that's some desperate glory by Emily Chesh. Those are those those are the two books I have read recently. Sorry, Emily. Bud gives Sorry, you a, a meh. She wrote like a a couple of novellas previously that were quite good. Yeah, uh, I can't think of the ones that that come to mind. But also with like queer characters. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have a really good, I have a very close friend who uh, got into, who just, who just graduated actually uh, from Notre Dame's uh, Masters of Creative Writing program, which is like a feat in and of itself. And he won like a really crazy fellowship that Notre Dame gives out that basically like funds the next year of his writing and he's like going to Ireland in three days to like go do like a writer's fellowship situation moment but he's like um he is a gay writer who writes very like it's like um like what is it when it's like semi-autobiographical fiction so like there's like a lot of his own experience in it um yeah and like his sounds like, sounds like fiction yeah and his his uh sort of specialty like the classes that he taught at notre dame were all about creative nonfiction. so like really diving into what where the line between reality and fiction starts to blur um and he you know he submitted just like literally like a treatment of his novella or novel that he's working on and like won this crazy award. And I 
swear to God, Lance, when this comes out, you'd better be fucking writing your book or I'm going to find you and (laughs) yell at you. He's just so, so talented, but he struggles. We all struggle with this. Like, it's just like when you're creative and you're excited about creative things, you often wrap your success up in your creativity and it becomes less about being creative and more about producing. And so like, how does that narrative influence the way that we make things? And so something I'm trying to practice right now is not doing things well, but doing them anyway. Right. Oh yeah. Just to keep that creativity flowing and like really truly be creative rather than just trying to be productive. Right. So that's that. Amazing. Well, it sounds like we've got some really cool shit going on right now. I yeah. love it. Uh, wait, I've got another plug. Oh. I recently saw the author Samantha Irby okay. in person. Um, and she story. has written such books as Meaty, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. Wow, no thank you. Um, she just sort of writes also like sort of like queer, memoirish, funny shit. Mm-hmm. Um I actually have never read anything she's ever written, but my wife, Rachel, is a fan of her stuff. And then we saw her, gosh, I can't remember the theater, but at a place in, in New York. And um, she had like multiple people reading parts from her new book, which is called Quietly Hostile. Fun. And I, it was uh, famous people were reading it, but I didn't, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember who it was. Um, we can put links in the show notes for anybody who's actually <laughs> curious about this stuff <laughs> with really our bad. really shitty descriptions of it. <laughs> oh, man, I did this really cool thing that I can't really remember. But if I look it up, I could probably figure it out. Uh, OK, one of them was Alana Glazer. Uh, oh, so damn. Kind, kind of like uh, Gia Tolentino was another one. And then uh, another lady who is like, um, gosh, I should just call on Rachel to say who it was. But she... Another a third lady who has a podcast and that she's had for like ten years, and so she's probably a famous person that I should know. Amazing, um, but yeah, it was it was great. That rules. Um, <laughs> I think we got our plugs out of the way. Hell yeah. Um, oh, okay. I have one other thing that I know you're gonna be like, what? you're gonna feel the pain the same as me. So, uh, and this is probably true for most of our sci-fi fantasy reading friends out there in the world, but. You know, that thing where you fall in love with a series that's written by an author and then the author's first few books of the series get fucking wildly popular, which creates a level Mm. of overwhelming, um, like, uh, grotesque pressure that prevents them from ever writing the final book or books of the Mm. series. Mm -hmm. Hmm. We've never done that before. Uh, But, you know, one of my favorites, possibly my favorite you know, fantasy book that's been written in the last, Jesus Christ, 12 years now, uh, not just 10 anymore. Uh, Name of the Wind, written by Patrick Rothfuss, you know. I was going to say, is this Lynch? Is this Rothfuss? Who is this? It's Rothfuss. Rothfuss. Yep. Yep. Um, So much to the chagrin of many readers on Twitter, I'm not so sad about it. He's releasing a novella that is about one of the main characters, Bast. And he did the same thing in between Name of the Wind and um, what's the middle one? Uh, Fuck me. I can never remember the names of all the books. Um, It's called... 
the Wise Man's Fear. So in between Name of the Wind and the Wise Man's Fear, he released a little novella about one of the like sort of sub characters, and that was called um, the. I keep wanting to the, call it the. the, the- the girl who lives in the attic slash sewer or wherever she lives. Yes, I read that one yes. too. That, that uh, was really fun. It was so good. Um, the, you know, it's just like, and so he's releasing one call. Uh, the title I don't think has been released yet. The, the slow regard of silent things. There it is. That's yes. The prior, the prior one, right? Yes. And so the next one is called the narrow road between desires. And it's about Bast who is, um, Kavos, a uh, fae familiar friend person and we don't really know a lot about Bast and there have been rumors that once the King Killer Chronicles are finished um, the story is going to s- continue eventually around Bast right so this mm. might be that first step but people are fucking furious because only what everyone wants is the doors of stone (laughs) that is all that people want they want to know what king got killed they want to know what happens with kvoth they want to know why he's um he lives in a silence of three parts and why he's he knows he's waiting to die everybody wants to know so that's like some hot that just happened he just announced this he did a live stream about it on twitch he, you know, posted about it on his blog and put it on Twitter and all this stuff. And people are just the worst. He even is like, you know what, man? Like, I announced something that I'm really excited about. And then all you guys can talk about is how, like, you want this other thing that I am, like, I have been very vocal about struggling with. Like, none of you, like, no one's taking into account that, like, I had to put my dad in hospice. Nobody's taking into account that I, as, like, a 40-year-old father of two, was diagnosed with ADHD and crippling anxiety, and now I'm learning how to live with that. I just really hope that he finishes the fucking book. I don't <laughs> care what he does in between. I, yeah. I mean, you can release 17 novellas, 16 comic books, Play Dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons on the internet. I just, I just hope before, you know, before I'm an old, I get to read that book. That's, that's yeah. all. All right. Yeah. Enough of our science fiction fantasy part of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. We got, <laughs> we got 40 minutes to do Billy Madison and Mallrat. So I don't let's think it's going to take that long. <laughs> Hot take. All right, you want- <laughs> There's not a lot to say. I mean, I I literally wrote like six pages of handwritten notes for both of these movies. But we can we can, we could do one of these roundtables where we just run through our notes and read read our notes. <laughs> there's a lot of okay there's a lot of fucking fun quotes but you want to do billy madison first sure do rats first okay, yes okay first. i'm gonna be perfectly honest i definitely tuned out i did the thing where i was like mm. trying to watch both of these movies and then found myself repeatedly just on my phone so okay. this is gonna be a lot of like you're gonna say something i'm gonna react to it i don't know if i have like a lot of original material to contribute just okay. complete honesty. There are a few little things, especially about, you know, mall rats that I thought were hilarious, but let's go. Let's start with this quote from Christina Lane okay. from her book, Feminist Hollywood, okay. from Born in Flames to Point Break. 
that as a person who is knowledgeable towards feminist politics, Tamara Davis, who's the director of Billy Madison, wanted to empower young women to feel good about their sexuality. Lane also mentioned that Davis used her platform to voice feminist ideas and empower girls. That's a quote about the director of Billy Madison. <laughs> pretty good, right? That's pretty good. I think that may be the case. So Tamara Davis, she's done uh, her earlier movie is Gun Crazy. She did Half Baked. She did CB4. She did hella videos for like NWA, Sonic Youth, ton of TV. Um, we see her working with Jason Lee, who is a Mallrats, mm-hmm. uh, and My Name Is Earl, and she was uh, married to Mike D of the Beastie Boys. So. I mean, that's pretty She's cool. She's a cool fucking person. Yeah, that's pretty um, cool. I think that she didn't, she wanted to do it, but then uh, they had another director and then that wasn't really working out. So they tagged her in. Um, this this movie was written by Tim Harley and Adam Sandler. Harley and Sandler lived together in college at NYU. Um, and he's like a fucking finance lawyer, I want to say. And I mean, that's kind of a. Kind of a yeah, like in a way, he's like the Eric character. He's yes. like seems like a business douche. Yeah, but he wrote. He was like Sandler's writing partner throughout, like Sandler's rise uh, as becoming a stand-up, and also all throughout SNL. So he's kind of got like writing credits with SNL, and then he helped write this one, and then lots of like the early, you know, Happy Madison movies. I kind of get the impression that Adam Sandler definitely needs like some level of like grounded real world. I I think that's right. I mean, so this movie, we should have done a trifecta with this Tommy boy and mall rats, but who's got time? Um, Cause, cause Chris Farley and Sandler are both fired from SNL in 1994. And partly it's because like the show ratings were just in the shitter. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of cast at that time was just like, they were sort of sitting on their laurels yeah, and yeah. didn't really give a fuck. It seemed. And I think Sandler extra didn't give a fuck and all his characters sounded the same. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, and he would just like fuck around and drink at work. And like, I don't know, they were just like sick of him. So Billy Madison and um, Tommy boy were the movies that they, these guys both jumped into after them leaving SNL yeah. um, for some interesting background. Prank calls, drinking, kind of doing the same shtick for every character, mooning people, just like fucking shenanigans. Right. Acting like, like literal teenagers, even yeah, though they were like, not. Exactly. Just being kind of toxic. Um, Sandler wanted Bob Odenkirk and they were like, no. And then he really wanted none other than uh, good old Philip Seymour Hoffman for the villain character. I... I I saw that note and then I was like trying to imagine it and I just like literally cannot. I just want it so bad, but I I, I think that the guy who did Eric did a great job because because well, it's he's such like a classic SNL movie villain like archetype mm-hmm. where he's like tiny tiny and twerpy and horny yes and and just uh, annoying. I'm thinking like David Spade and PCU sort of character. I was just going to ask, like, what is the one where David Spade is that same character? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, it's, it, it would be, I feel like the, like Philip Seymour Hoffman has too much gravitas yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be exactly. in this movie. Yeah. Like Bob Odenkirk could have been really funny. For sure. You know what? He was doing Mr. Show, I think, around the same time. 
Was it? Has Mr. Has Mr. Show been around for that long? I'm pretty like sure Mr. Years? Show was the 90s. Like, let me look. Interesting. I don't know Mr. Show. Um, yeah, 1995. So, you know, David Cross and Bob Odenkirk were doing Mr. Show from 95 to 98. So he was obviously doing stand-up. He was obviously, you know, doing goofy-ass shit. And, like, you know, Brian Posehn was in that family. Paul Paul F. Tompkins was in that same family. John Ennis. And these are all dudes that, like, have like a, a loose connection to that SNL world. I feel like, you know, Brian Posehn was in, um, what is that show? Get got mail. Not though. No, that's a movie. The mail where he's like the mailroom dude at the magazine that David Spade is running. Do you remember this show? No, that was a show. Yeah. So it was a TV show and it was on like, just shoot me. So David Spade was like a, like a, photographer for a fashion magazine and Brian Posehn was the like male guy on that show. In fact, actually fun, not related to either of these movies, but uh, I met David Posehn at Comic-Con. Brian Posehn. What? Yeah, sorry. Brian Posehn at uh, Comic-Con. And I was like, and this was like in the 90s. And I was like, you look like that guy from that show. And he's like, that's because I am that guy from that show. And he was actually like (laughs) pushing like a silver cart through the San Diego Comic-Con floor. And I was like, wow. And then he was like, you look like Kirsten Dunst. And I was like, yeah, I know everybody tells me that. And he's like, you should go upstairs to one of the empty conference rooms with a bunch of her pictures and sign fake autographs <laughs> and um, get the money and run. He's like, you could definitely, I had really, really red hair and this was like very much height of like Superman moment. And so yeah. like, he's like, you could absolutely pull it off because they never look like they do in the movies in real life. I was like, I don't, I don't think I could do that. And he's like, you're lost. And then he just walks away. It's like, it was like too weird of like a moment and I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I think I was like 16 at the time or something like, yeah, just so weird anyway. So yeah, I mean, definitely not David Seymour Hoffman. Couldn't imagine it. Can, I can't imagine it with Bob Odenkirk for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's wild. Um, so, okay. Billy Madison, it's the stupidest plot in the world. It's literally, like, it, it's like this, uh, I would call him a codependent rich man, uh, kind of like lets his adult son just fuck around and live in a tent in the backyard of their yep. mansion and drink all the time with his friend, uh, one of whom is like Norm Macdonald in his first uh, feature length film role. Um, and he's like, I'm going to hand over the the hotel company yeah he's like is like the he's like a mogul of like the inner of like the hotel industry he's like he's like paris hilton he's like the hilton dad yeah yeah <laughs> that's right yes he's pretty much like paris hilton yeah uh billy madison yeah and 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 for some reason billy is like no i he really wants to run the company for some reason like he it's just completely he doesn't okay so like so he his dad's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to retire. I'm going to give over control of the company to this douchebag, this like absolute douche canoe. And 
that dude is like, I'm going to cut you out, Billy Madison. Like, I'm going to fucking make you be an adult and you're not going to be able to like suck off the teat of like your Mm. father's empire anymore or whatever. And Billy Madison's like, I can't like be a real person. Like, that's impossible. And so then he like is like, I'm I'm going to. And then he goes to his dad and is like, dad. Let me be in charge of the company. And so I was like, you didn't even finish fucking high school, my dude. You didn't even like you never finished school. He's like, all right, here's the deal. And this is the entire plot of the story <laughs> right so here. Stupid. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to redo grades K through 12 in 24 weeks. And I'm going to prove to you that I have the dedication to run the company. First of all, I'm pretty sure you have to have more than a fucking 12th grade education to be the CEO of a fucking like multi-million dollar hotel dynasty just just saying but well my my thought was that any publicly run company like the board of <laughs> directors board. would never let this fly I know. like like <laughs> so- where where on earth is this how on earth is this possible i mean it's possible because the 90s and movies i don't know yeah um, but yeah, so that's the entire that's the entire plot of the film right there. Um, uh, yeah. So he just goes through each grade and then he he's doing uh, great he, until like the fifth grade or something when like kids learn how to bully. Yeah. Yeah. And he meets Veronica Vaughn, who is uh, like his third grade teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's really hot. And that's where the movie gets real male gazy yes. in a way that I don't appreciate, which is why I read just for juxtapositions purposes that quote about the uh, director being such a strong feminist right and so uh, it's like it's like that might be true but how did this like how does how does that thesis of a career wend its way into this movie i don't see it (laughs) i mean there's there's some interesting aspects to that um there's a point i don't know it's so weird like i i have a note that says like if you find anything super deep in this movie there's deep aspects to it but they i think they're just there on accident Mm -hmm. um there is an interesting part where um like billy's friend who's a child is like go or like he's hanging out with some kids in the back of the bus and he's like they're like go touch the teacher's boobs and he's like uh he literally says uh my dude that's assault and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. And he's like, wait, but do you dare me though? And then right. he goes and like sexually assaults a teacher. Yep. And and but it's just like, ha ha ha. And she's like, I dare you, like joking around with him. Yeah. And it's like the fact they get together, they're like a couple. There's just the fact that and everyone wants to fuck Billy Madison for some reason, <sighs> which I get it. That's kind of a funny, it's a ridiculous trope. Right. Um, something stuck out to me that I never realized when I was younger, which is like the, I'm going to call her the maid, but she's, she's constructed to be the maid, but she's like, you know, the maid. Yeah. She's like an older, older black woman. Yes. And she's always flirting with Billy Madison. Mm -hmm. And she's always like, Oh, like that boy is a fine piece of ass. And like, he acts all awkward. And it kind of occurred to me, like Beth, do you think that Billy Madison fucked the maid at some point? Maybe when he was blacked out? Probably. Cause like she's, she's speaking like knowledgeably. Yeah, and she's absolutely. Always like, she's always like, mm. and like, like every, yes, I absolutely think that that's true. Uh, also, you know, 
sometimes narcissistic man babies can be good in bed. And that is effectively what Billy Madison is at the beginning of the film uh, <laughs> is a you- narcissistic man baby. Um, Are you hypothesizing that Billy Madison's good in bed right now? Well, if everybody wants to fuck him, like there has to be a reason. Everyone wants to fuck him, Um, which is sort of like. That's another interesting thing that I thought of is like. I kind of wonder if there's there's some like gay panic in this movie, which I don't like. Oh, always. Um, Always. I mean, it's that's just it's a product of its time. Yeah. Um, And those are that was real low hanging fruit for stupid, shitty comedies like male driven comedies of the time. Also, like the like, you know, the just general intelligence aspects of it, you know, like the R word is used at least one time, if not more times by littler kids, like, you know, just like and it's it's it is it's just like, I don't know that that's the part of this that like I'm just like, God, whatever. This is so fucking dumb. Yeah, I, I, I will say, though, that. Um, everyone wants to fuck Billy, and and there's some gay panic and stuff like that. But he is at his most he is at his most adult and responsible when sort of like inappropriate people are trying to have sex with him. Yeah, like there's that Valentine scene where it's all these little girls and they're so Twitter painted over Billy Madison and, and like the like, little he, like, girls like me 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 yeah yeah and like. Times like that, and then like the time when the the principal also gives him, it's a principal. It's a it's a principal. Yeah, the principal also gives him, um, a a Valentine card that says like I'm horny for you, and and he's always like kind of hugging him and hitting on him, and like those moments is when Billy Madison is at his best as a character at at his most like believable or not believable but most like relatable because he's. He's, it's the best acting that Sandler does in the whole movie, in my opinion. I think that also uh, he's the most compassionate. He's the most compassionate as a character. I, I guess, would say in that those moments. also the moments where he realizes that he was a bully because now he's getting bullied. Right. Like that's like the character. That's like some of the character growth that he gets to have, you know, is like realizing that like oh, actions have consequences. The things that we say change the way that people grow up, you know, like, and it can make people more compassionate or less compassionate, you know, like people who are ruthlessly bullied often become bullies themselves, you know? And, but of course, like we get to look back at this with like the, the like compassion of, grown ass adults in 2023 and put our values onto it. So it's like, it's, you know, you have to kind of like look at it. Like, was that the intention? Was that the commentary that was being made? I don't necessarily know, you know, like, are we able to get that read off of it because we're looking at it through this lens? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying is like any yeah. kind of deep shit that we're finding, like I think is I mean, whatever. It had like two smart people writing it and and a, a, a legit director directing it. So who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think like standout performances were Steve Buscemi. Great. <laughs> Loved it. 
just so vulnerable. Like he didn't have much to do, but he just, he was so good. Just his, the nuances of getting that phone call from Billy Madison and Billy Madison apologizing for bullying him. Yeah. And he's just like all alone and he's like very thoughtful and considerate. And then he puts lipstick on, which is also just like, okay, whatever. That's that's annoying. It's funny. It was funny at the time, but kind of annoying now to look back at it. But, and then in the end when he shoots Eric, uh, at the end of the movie and he just waves in this like really vulnerable, silly way. Yeah. Um, stand, definite standout performance there. Chris Farley also like fantastic. Chris Farley drank six shots of espresso so he can act like a total freak on the bus. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if Chris Farley needed that. He, that's what he did. That's, he just fucking he, went for it. Yeah. That's wild. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I mean, them. it's entertaining. It yeah. was, you know, it was like uh, very much of his era. It did. It looks like it did a reasonable profit. It wasn't like a smash out hit or anything. But like, I mean, it's it set him up for Happy Gilmore. Yeah, which, which I think was is next just movie. like ridiculous. Like that. I I kind of had this memory that like all of these um, all of these like Adam Sandler quote moments came from Billy Madison, but I'm now realizing that the that a lot of them came from Happy Gilmore and from mm. but like he's like still had an unrelenting influence on pop culture, like oh, all yeah. of his dumb Adam Sandler movies. Absolutely. Um, should we talk about really quickly the um, Jeopardy style test that they had to do <laughs> to prove that Adam Sandler was like prepared to take to over, the- like he had yeah. succeeded or whatever? It's like a, a um, academic decathlon, right. Of sorts, right? Have you did you ever do one of those? No, I didn't do one of those. Are you insane? No, I actually did when I was in middle did school. Really? I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the on the Jeopardy, some of the topics are uh, my spouse is sleeping around. Uh, another one is I married common street trash and my wife, the tramp. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Real, real feminist there. Some real, real yeah. feminist uh, things there. Um, yeah. I think that the thing that is like very hilarious to me like truly hilarious is that the question that causes eric to lose is about business ethics yeah uh, yeah i mean it's just it's supposed to be like a a very on the nose joke right right exactly and it's just like so like it's so like you're 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 a bad guy you know like i don't know i just think it's so funny and then i think it's like kind of cute that Billy decides like through all of this that like learning is important and that he actually maybe wants to even become a teacher like he sees like the value in it and it's like cool but I don't know (laughs) Uh, you know with this one and Mallrats going into them you're like oh this is so fucking stupid like what but right but they do pull you in yep and by the end of it you do your you find yourself immersed in the fucking world and yeah it's 
it's worth a watch. You want to do the ratings? Let's bang sure. Out yeah, ratings. let's do the ratings. Enjoyability, um, I said three hundred. Yeah, I mean, I'll. I would say like two eighty nine. It's it's enjoyable. I remember it being much more enjoyable, which I think influenced my ability to enjoy it as an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. Veracity, like fucking 11, man. Like there's literally (laughs) on what planet? (laughs) On what fucking planet? I wrote 42. So yeah, 11 is good. Um, Immersiveness. Like I said, I and maybe this is because I had seen it a bunch when I was younger. I was like literally like on my phone through both of them so like 99 like i yeah like i just was like it just didn't they it i thought for sure that i was gonna be like oh these are so funny and dumb nah it just didn't i don't know it just didn't it didn't sink in for whatever reason i mean i have also had kind of a stressful week so perhaps that has something to do with it i had to do a lot of like going out of the house and being on my a game like 17 doctor's appointments fucking job interviews shit like that so like maybe i was just like already in kind of like a a not totally present state of mind anyway but yeah would i watch it again i agree with your revival theater commentary and i agree that it would have to be some kind of like fest moment like the q a other films you know something like what we're doing where we're like not talking necessarily about the movie, but we're like talking about the role that it played in pop culture or something like this. Like, yeah. yeah. What, what score? A score. I don't know. Are, Do we even need to have a score? Or is that like just like a, a score for this? Okay. I feel like this right. is like yeah. the score is the way the, like the conditions. Okay. Yeah. Copy. Cool. So uh, yeah, I mean, it would have to be like a Q and a with like, yeah, I don't know. Tamara Davis or like, fucking sandler or you know someone like that but totally okay grand total of 399 (laughs) yeah i don't think i mean mine we we differed quite vastly on certain things the Um, the immersiveness very much so like you were like like yeah this is like fun and funny and i was just like i it kind of felt like sluggish but like again you know I might not be able to give it a completely uh, unbiased divorce from whatever else was going on in my whole brain at the time. So yeah, you were, you were having a week grain of salt. I will take it. Yeah. So yours was like 400 or something to, yeah, literally like 399. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was 822. So, okay. Rare that we would, we would uh, differ so much, but yeah, I think we just had been having different weeks, but yeah. Um, I watched this in Milwaukee, I think. Right. My hotel room in Milwaukee. I was going to come up and hang out with you. And then that just didn't materialize because my week went insane. It like went upside down so fast. In other news, there's this movie. It's called Mallrats. Indeed it is. Directed by Kevin Smith, written by Kevin Smith also. Mm-hmm. Um, also, fits. Kevin Smith is in it. Kevin Smith is also in it. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, did some good acting uh, set in between Clerks and Chasing Amy. Dogma follows after Chasing Amy. So there again, this is like just right in that strong section for a lot of these guys that we're talking about for yep. Kevin Smith. Starring Shannon Doherty, Jeremy London, Jason Lee, Claire Forlani, Ben Affleck, a young hunky Ben Affleck, uh, Priscilla Barnes, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker's always fun. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we, I know that we've been looking at uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where he plays an, an excellent part in. 
recently, you and I. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know if you saw this stupid note, but do you remember Matt Elman? He was like our buddy from, he was around back then. You probably yeah. had interactions with him. Yeah. Yeah. This one time Matt Elman met Jason Mewes in rehab, apparently. That's so fucking fun. Funny. Yeah. And then like, I just was thinking about that and I just was like, Jason Mewes is, is amazing. And did you ever see Zach and Mary make a porno? I did not. Oh my God. I just have to feel like I need to like read the quote. Okay. It's, it, yeah. It, it didn't really exist. And like, it's with, uh, isn't it Seth Rogen and, yeah. um, what is her name? It's not Chelsea Handler. I fucking wish I would love to see them do a movie together. Um, it's a uh, Elizabeth something or other oh, Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, it's like early Elizabeth Banks. And I think that um, it didn't do well because it had the word porno in it, and it, uh-huh. was, it doesn't exist. And that's a real shame because it's pretty fucking fun. I feel like I've seen almost all of it though. I might've actually seen it all the way through at one point. It's like they live in like a shitty snowy ass, like North Dakota, Montana ass town or like Wisconsin, like some upper Midwest cold, dark place. And Elizabeth Banks is fucking broke. And and they uh, live together. They're, they're oh, buddies right. from high school. It's like Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks are friends from high school. And he's secretly in love with her and she dates shitty dudes, right? My favorite scene is at the end when uh, it's like, I think they kind of figure it out, like Seth, uh, Seth and Elizabeth figure out that they're in love with each other. Right. And then they don't see each other for a long time. And then he comes over to like be like, to, we got to work it out. And she's living with Jason Muse, who is like one of the porn models that they had hired to make their porn. Yes. Um, also, it, I worked for porn briefly. I worked at, no, here we go again. I've, I've had weird fucking jobs, but I worked for a gay porn company uh, I when I, I first moved to San Francisco. I knew that. Yes. I <laughs> and, remember uh, that. Porno is not the preferred nomenclature. Uh, it, it, uh, people in the industry, industry prefer the word porn or pornography, but not porno. Interesting. But um, it's kind of like so, when people call tattoos tats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice tats. Says a lot about nice. the person using the word, honestly. Yeah. It says that they've always wanted a tattoo, but just never brave enough to just go for it. Yep. I think. Absolutely. So Seth Rogen goes over to uh, his friend Mary's house and Jason Mewes is naked and he opens the door and Seth just assumes that they're like living together and that they're sleeping together. Uh-huh. And he's like, and Jason Mewes is like, no, like she wouldn't even give me a Dutch rudder. And <laughs> Seth Rogen's like, what's a Dutch rudder? And he's like, you don't know what, you know what? You know what a Dutch rudder? All right. You grab your dick and then you have someone else work your arm. Here, let me show you. Grab my arm. I'm grabbing my dick. You're grabbing my arm. Now work it. Work my arm. See that shit? Now work it up and down. See that? See, it's like somebody else is jerking you off. And of course, there's a double Dutch rudder, which I grab my dick. You grab your dick. You work my arm. I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks, anyways. I'm touching my own dick. You're working it. I'm loving it. Feels good, sir. Try me. Come on. Oh God. That's the Dutch rudder scene. I can. I don't know if I can recall <laughs> it, but I can fucking picture it perfectly. You got to watch it. Like Jason Mewes is a good fucking actor. I don't know anything else he's done. I mean, other I'm sure than all the Kevin just Smith like stuff. Fucking Kevin Smith stuff. Yeah. Um, but he's a good fucking actor. Like. Uh, he's got another great fucking quote 
Um, <laughs> that I'm going to read at the end of the conclusion of this episode. That's really fun, too. Like, he's just a good fucking actor. And yeah, he's, I love it. He's very fucking funny. Like, very, he's very fun. Funny. Yeah. Um, should we do the synopsis of the do a quick plot plot outline and then get uh, into it? Or how do you want to just a couple couple okay. more notes? Couple Jason more Lee notes. is a pro skateboarder at this point. Yes, he Did is. You know this about him? Oh, yeah. I definitely knew this about him. And since uh, I'm getting into skateboarding in my early 40s, I was watching some of his videos and he's good. He's fucking light on his feet. Yeah. Like I was like yes. very impressed. Yes. He's like floated. That fool floated. He definitely floated. And he did. He was skating for. Who was he? Was he was he DC? I have no idea. Who, OK, I have to look, I have to look this up because back in the day, I knew a lot about skateboarding because I really liked uh, hanging out with skateboarders when I was in high school. That was like my other secret life that no, none, none of my punk friends knew about. Mm. Um, and uh, I went to like the zero compound and like met all of the like fucking pro skateboarders from that shit. It was a weird, that was a weird time in my life. Um, That's weird. Yeah. Okay. So he, founded stereo skateboards that's what it is and then he oh he was he's he spoke he skated for blind and then of course he did a bunch of stuff for stereo and then you know he was this he's the same age and was friends with tony hawk so i'm pretty sure he was actually in tony hawk pro skater he was like a character you could play and um you know he's got like cool um he had really cool taste in music he was in a sonic youth um music video and you know fucking mall rats was really like his breakout right um and like he was in all of them you know he was in so much shit like vanilla sky almost famous <laughs> it's really yeah um enemy of the state a very minor role he also was a voice actor um and then was like the main character in my name is earl which came out in 2005 and then which is directed by the same director Tamara davis of uh Billy Madison. Yeah. Like I mentioned. Um, and he won, he was nominated for a Golden Globe for My Name is Earl. Um, also some SAG awards, but uh, it was canceled. And that cancellation may or may not have coincided with the 2007 writer's strike. Interesting. Yes. Which we are is all very prevalent and active in a lot of media digesters' minds right now because the Writers Guild of America is on strike again right now. That's right. Interesting thing I learned today about that is that every single time that the Writers Guild has gone on strike, their strikes have never ended except once in a period of less than 100 days. Whoa. And the only other time it was less than 100 was 97 days. So I don't even know if it counts. So we're about to see potentially the longest strike in the writer, the screen actor or the screenwriter guild of America's history. 
I'm Crazy. I'm willing to wager. Yeah. So that's nuts. So even shittier TV for the next couple of years. Or you know, we're gonna probably see like a massive uptick in um reality TV, which is what happened with 2007. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll actually get some like good fucking shit out of this because I do remember like once writing and production kicked back up in like 2000, really like the seasons really started kicking back up in 2008. I feel like there was like a fucking Hollywood renaissance in like the early 2010s. Like, yeah, for sure. Films and movies just got so good because like, you know, they were writers want to write they want to write but they also want to be able to like pay their heating bills and feed their fucking kids right so like yeah. uh if this episode comes out and the writers guild strike is still happening uh <laughs> fucking keep going ai is bullshit it'll never replace creative talent no. and we here at we're spending time support you guys that's right uh, you heard it here first. Commies on the internet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so Dutch rudder. Oh, the only other thing I was shocked by was Jeremy London, who's the other main character uh, in Mallrats. Yes, is that kid from uh, Party of Five and Seth- Seventh Heaven? I just like didn't wait. Didn't he was in him. both of those. Yeah, but which like I don't know. Those are two shows that I would never fucking watch. Um, but those are the movie. Those are the shows that he had done kind of leading up to this. Like Shannon Doherty is also in Mallrats. She's she's like um, someone's girlfriend. 90210 uh, fame, which there's yeah, actually a hilarious from- joke about that in Mallrats, which I would oh, definitely. There- yes. Oh, I didn't. Ca- yeah, I didn't catch that, actually. Oh, yeah. I, that I will. I will. Def- we'll definitely talk about that. Um, yeah. So what happens in this movie exactly? OK, Beth, tell me. So. What happens exactly in this movie? Uh, The movie is loosely basically about two degenerate best friends who both get dumped by their girlfriends going to the mall and everything that ensues in said mall trip. As a adult who grew up going to the mall where a bunch of bullshit just happened all the time because that was all we had to do in a lot of respects and none of us had cell phones so we just met at the mall. This film was highly relatable when I watched it as a teenager. Uh, But basically, you know, uh, Jason Lee's girlfriend is played by um, Shannon Doherty. And she breaks up with him because he won't introduce her to his mom. And then um, fucking Jeremy London's girlfriend breaks up with him. Mind you. Their names in the show in the film are Brody and TS. Uh, mm-hmm. Brody being Jason Lee, TS being Jeremy London. So I had to write that down in my notes because I just could not keep track of their names. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um, so uh, Brody is the arguably the mall rat. Like the mall is his sort of like church. Effectively, um, he's obsessed with comic books. Interesting side note about that is that the comic book collection that Brody has in the opening of the most common version of Mallrats, which I will talk about in a little in a second, uh, in the most common version, that comic book collection is actually Kevin Smith's comic book collection 
that he was able to rebuild after he sold his original comic book collection to make clerks. Right. So um, that's a very real comic book collection. Uh, So anyway, he he sold all his comic books and like maxed out 12 credit cards or something just to make just to make clerks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, TS is going to uh, he's he's planning on proposing to his girlfriend, Brandy, and then they break up because her dad thinks that TS is like a fucking degen and she's pissed at TS because he's like being a dick about her dad and being on her dad's TV show. Well, he inadvertently shamed a woman into killing herself. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So he, I forget what he said, but he said, I forget exactly what he says, but there's some woman in the community and he <sighs> says something that makes her feel fat. Yes. And so she, and then she has is, an aneurysm because she was swimming so many laps. And so now Brandy correct. has to go on the show because she was supposed to be the contestant on her dad's dating show. Correct. Yes. Which when the dating show comes around, did you even think it was being filmed? It, like they made no pretense at like they didn't even show any cameras. It was just like them all on, on a stage. stage at the mall. Yeah. Like not even in like a you I know a sound stage or anything. I thought that there was a camera. So I'll be I I will be totally um a hundred percent honest. I have seen all three versions of Mall Rats. Okay, please explain this to me. I don't know about this. Okay, so there's the main version that was, like, released, I think, on VHS. Then there was the theatrical version, and then there was the extended version. And the the extended... Hold on, I have to find the exact thing. So the extended cut has a different opening. The opening takes place at... Brandy Svenning's dad's house where they're hosting a ball for the governor of New Jersey. Um, <laughs> so and stupid. he uh, accidentally shoots at the governor because he's dressed up as a colonial musket man for the event for some reason. And then uh, T.S. Who, who is, this? is this is this T.S. that TS. does this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then T.S. Uh, gets like becomes hated by Brandy's dad because it cost him his reputation and a giant pay raise. And that that's the reason why Brandy was breaking up with TS. And then there's no mention of Julie Dwyer's death. Mm. Um, And the, um, and they uh, cut a subplot referencing in the final cut where the TV execs mentioned it to Svenning that they didn't want a repeat of the governor's ball because that was like an un, unaddressed plot line that they had to cut out if they were going to take, if they weren't going to do the extended opening, that didn't make any sense. Um, they also had to, um, they had to like remove a bunch of lines about TS's attempted assassination of the government governor, which is in the extended version. Um, and then, you know, there's like a whole um, extended sequence of Brody being hounded by the, um, the media 
and then it also this is this is the one where TS talks about proposing to Brandy, but that made it into the final like the main cut that everybody has seen where they're walking to the mall and he's telling Brandy what happened and he was like, I was gonna propose to her at Universal Studios on Jaws. Um there's, you know, uh like there's a the like the scene with Miss Ivanaw when they go to get their fortune told. There's it's longer in that part. But the problem is is that because I've seen all of these different versions, even though I've recently watched just like a regular version, I have the memory of all these other ones. So I always get like the plots all mixed up. Um, you know, like there's like a much more extended explanation of Trisha and um, Ben Affleck's character and like the shit that went down between them. Oh, uh, the like extended- the butt fucking and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, see, this is the exact plot of Emily Tesh's Some Desperate Glory. Exactly what you just described. If you really want to know what it's about, it's like um, different parallel narratives uh, <laughs> and people traveling back and forth between them and no one can remember who knows what. And yeah. Sorry, I had to make that callback reference. Incredible. Um, and then lastly, they show like the like one of the ways that they distracted LaFours in the extended cut. And this is what got one of the things that got cut out um, it, because like it wasn't very well it, for the theatrical release were that Trisha fucked LaFors in order to distract him from catching Jay and Silent Bob from bringing down the stage. And that's why he's kissing her at the book signing in the like, mm. where are they now section? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, so um, that so, makes it a little confusing for me. Okay. So my, the plot, as I understand it is, yeah, like both of these two dudes, their girlfriends break up with both of them on the same morning. Yep. Brody, because like he doesn't like his, he won't fuck his smoking hot girlfriend and he just wants to play video games and he's afraid to introduce her to his mom. Yep. So she dumps him and then she climbs out the window. Yep. Um, of the basement that he lives in. And then yeah, TS we just described. So these guys are just like, Oh no, but they're like hanging out. And from the very beginning, it's like very palpable that like Kevin Smith is playing with that. Like, Oh, should these guys be fucking each other? Yeah. Sort of idea. Right. Yeah. Cause they have much better Chemistry. charisma with, yeah. with each other than they do with their girlfriends. Absolutely. Um, I think that then, there's yeah. even a comment about that at some point in the film. I believe there is. I, Ren- yeah. I think it's Renee Zellweger's character. Who is Renee isn't, Zellweger in this movie? Isn't yeah? Oh yes, isn't she? Hold no. on. No. Okay, so I always get Joey Lauren Adams yeah. confused with yeah. Renee Zellweger, who is She's Amy in, more- in Chasing Amy. Uh, or not Amy. No, she, she, no. She's not Amy. She's the, but she is the one that's getting chased. Chasing Amy is the story that Kevin Smith tells. No, it's, it's Joey Lauren Adams is in both movies. That's what I'm saying. Just, Joey Lord, uh, Lauren Adams is in Chasing Amy, but I always get her confused with Renee Zellweger, who is not in Chasing Amy. Joey Lauren Adams is. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Okay. I was, I did a bad, I did a bad spoken conjunction. <laughs> um, but yes. Uh, Joey Lauren Adams 
it has the same smile and the same voice pitch as Renee Zellweger. And she's a more bubbly Renee Zellweger, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so. Basically, the whole movie takes place in the mall. And it's except for a brief stint in the in the flea market. Yeah, so they. Oh, yeah, I love the. I love the shittier mall. At yes. one point, they're banned from the mall. They keep so they go to the mall, and they're like, "What's going on? You have to fill this in for me." And then it's like, "Oh, uh, my ex girlfriend is going on her dad's show, yep. and it's being filmed here." Yep. And also, there's this douchebag played by Ben Affleck who manages the like fashionable male, clothes, fashionable male. All of the. Um, store names or like kooky 90s era gen x like wacky names uh which i just found kind of annoying but that was uh, similar to billy madison it's like this movie is clunky to get into from the modern perspective yeah but towards the end similar similar to billy madison i i was there i was sucked into it uh yeah Um, it was immersive it was immersive so to speak i Definitely. I, I agree. Um, the, there's like, it's so funny because basically like the, like the, the main driving force of this film is not necessarily to get back with their girlfriends, but definitely to sort of rebalance the social order of the mall by destroying the uh, game show stage, which would incidentally ruin Brandy's dad's life, who T.S. blames for them breaking up. And, you know, and then Brody gets in his idea that maybe he does still want to date um, his like he still wants to date Renee because he finds out that she's in a relationship with Shannon, who's played by Ben Affleck. And so there's just all of these things that are happening around really the destruction of this game show stage. So Brody and TS enlist um, the like merry makers of destruction who are Jay and silent Bob. And one of the, my favorite bits in that whole scene is silent Bob holding the cigarette and trying to Jedi mind trick that shit. And like (laughs) Jason Mewes just like going like, there's like all this music like happening. And then he looks over at uh, silent Bob and he goes, I told you to stop that shit and just knocks the cigarette out of his hand. And like the cut that they do for that is so fucking funny because like all of the like vibrato and like, and like, uh, vibe that Jay is putting forth. Jason Muse is like doing like, and then Wolverine X Men style, boom, boom, and then he just turns and is like, knock that shit off. Like it's just like this yeah. hilarious like break break moment. And you know, like they do the classic heist, like blueprints going through like and then we're gonna do this. And then my man here discovered that there's a fucking. Like, what is it? He says something like that there's a there's a Death Star level weak point and we're going to get in there like Luke and just a bunch of fucking Star Wars references and X-Men references. 
and it just really shows like how fucking nerdy these dudes are all like they're right. trying to front like they're so fucking cool but at the end of the day they're just like hardcore nerds right right well like at some point stan lee shows up and yep. stan lee's doing like a reading and that's like a big focal point yes um and there's like a whole thing with like uh you know Brody being pissed that he can't go to the fucking comic book store and is like talking a bunch of shit to everybody in line and then finds out it's Stan Lee and then like he's all bummed that he can't get in line and it's just like they're fucking nerds is what they are. They're just a bunch of fucking nerds who happen to be like pretty good looking and therefore that they can score chicks. That's really the difference. Yeah, like is this is this movie kind of misogynistic? I can't, can't, can't really decide. Like, what does it say about women? What does it say about men? What are your, what are your thoughts, Beth Martini? Well, I mean, okay. Feminist authority, Beth Martini. So like what it, what it's like sort of speaks to is like the, like the, the failure to me on like a societal level of encouraging men to connect with like their like vulnerability, because that's really what everything sort of comes down to is that this, like all of this bravado, all of this like bullshit, all the reasons why these two dudes make bad decisions in their relationships is because they don't know how to be emotionally vulnerable. Right. 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 And so it's like, you know, it's like, it has very much like, it it definitely perpetuates that sort of narrative that men are less emotionally mature than women and that they don't know how to deal with their feelings and that women are emotional creatures who want like meaningful interactions and relationships. And it kind of does. I mean, that quote that you read about the director of um, Billy Madison to me speaks more to the women portrayed in mall rats mm-hmm. than it does to the women from Billy Madison because like, oh, absolutely all yeah. of those, all of the, like, I mean, granted they're like, all teenage girls or whatever but every single one of them is pretty fucking like present and sort of like knows what they want and isn't gonna like doesn't want to put up with a bunch of immature fucking high school dude bullshit which that kind of just perpetuates the stereotype but still you know even even trisha who's like she's the youngest of them all she's also the smartest of them all she's like done this like sexual sexuality of women in their in high school in the 90s book that she got like fifty thousand dollars to write and she like literally just has a bunch of sex with dudes and documents it all very scientifically which is how she has the video of shannon fucking her in a very uncomfortable place which is like you know the taboo of like butt stuff so i mentioned that there was a good 90210 uh burn in mall rats 
And so one of like the most hilarious, like sort of through lines of this, um, of this like whole movie is Willem and his desperate desire to see the sailboat in the magic eye poster. Right. Right. And so it's this gag of people being like, Willem, what are you doing? I'm trying to see the, I, and they're like, relax your eyes, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. And periodically throughout the movie, different characters walk up and go, Oh, a sailboat. And in this moment, Ren, uh, Sh- Renee walks up to him and like the main characters have walked away. Um, and it's just her. And she goes, huh, a sailboat. And he turns and looks at her and he goes, Brenda. And she goes, dick and just walks away oh i didn't get that brenda is uh shannon doherty's character character from 90210 got it which is like kind of like a hilarious sorry i'm eating crackers it's like sort of like this hilarious fourth wall break that's not really a fourth wall break but it is it's just like it's like a three and a half wall break yeah do you see how hunky uh, Ethan Supley is now? Have you seen these pictures? What? No. I'm gonna go. He go. lost like a ton of weight, which what is not to say fuck? that you know he's any more attractive now because he lost weight. But yeah, he lost a ton of weight. Right. He's just like not. He's not like the. He's not Chris Farley light anymore. He's like correct. He's kind of looks like now um, like a younger buffer version of the dude who plays the dad on Stranger Things. Not the not the dad. Oh, yeah. The, not the, the dad. Yeah, the, the sheriff. sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, doesn't he kind of look like that a little? He's got he's definitely got David Harbour vibes. That's, like he's got that's that like, name, yeah, uh, a uh, heavier dude who gets kind of buff, which I think David Harbour is in that same that same lane. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I like that he's rocking his muscular bod with his like leftover skin. Look, that's, that's yeah, hot. that is really cool. I mean, yeah, that's I fucking love that. That's like that's like real shit though. That's like mm-hmm. that's like yo, I wanted to do this thing, but I am not going to fucking lie about it. Yeah. Which, yeah. honestly, mad fucking respect. Like, he's mad like, respect. I'm, he's like, I'm shaving my armpits, but I'm also going to show you all this uh, skin that's left over. It's hot. Yeah. You it. know, and like, honestly, sometimes armpit hair is a little chafy. So I really support like everyone who <laughs> wants to um, shave their armpits or not shave their armpits. I don't fucking shave my armpits. Fuck it. Um. Don't shave my armpits. I kind of think that armpit hair and well, hair in weird places is probably just like, I think it's a mechanical lubricant in my opinion. Interesting. And it's like, this is why I have hair in my butt crack is because like I'm supposed to be running and there's supposed to be like a better, you know, a better way to keep your, your, my um, cheeks, my cheeks got to glide against each other. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, you don't want to get, same thing with pit hair, you know, you definitely don't want to get cheek rub. That is yeah. wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. No, that's really interesting. I definitely 
I definitely stopped shaving my armpits because my skin is like really, really sensitive and they're like specifically sensitive to like abrasion and just general friction discomfort. Like I went to a really sweaty, gross show in Seattle once to see the like fucking noise rock band Hella play. And there's just this kid in like a wool jacket right next to me. And like, we were all like sardines and just like the constant movement of the like wool jacket on my arm. It just felt like fucking sandpaper. Yeah, that's a horrible. That's horrible. So like when my armpit hair would like grow back or I'd get like an ingrown hair or something, it would just like hurt. And so I was finally just like, fuck this. It's not worth it. I actually I almost like I really almost filed like a major complaint with one of my jobs because they were like, you can't wear tank tops without shaving your armpits oh fuck that and i was like what what job was that it was this fucking shitty restaurant it's a restaurant that's still open and it's here in chicago and i don't want to like put it on blast that bad because i'm not a complete fucking asshole and the manager who said it to me doesn't work there anymore he got fired yeah but Basically, I was like, okay, cool. So are you going to tell every single male-bodied person that's currently wearing a tank top right now to shave their armpits and shave their right. legs when they wear shorts? Or are you going to say that nobody can wear tank tops and nobody can wear shorts? Which one's it going to be? Because it can't be both. Right. Like, you can't be like, oh, guys don't have to shave their legs or their armpits and they can wear tank tops and shorts, but girls have to shave their... This is the same fucker who tried to who tried to argue to me that being a stripper was not a feminist action. He tried to tell me <laughs> that there's nothing feminist about being a sex worker. And I was oh. like, you Dude, antiquated... pseudo fucking woke liberal ass piece of shit you can get fucked all the way to hell like that that's the feminist version of i'm colorblind right oh my god i don't fucking know what it is he's like there's just it's how can like how can that be because like i'm like it's seizing the means of production my man like and it's like it's like the same thing with like to bring it back to the fucking movie like young young Trisha being like yeah I have this sex tape of this dude fucking me in the ass in a fucking VW bug and sure I don't give a shit if you put it on all the TV cameras in the mall and like get him charged with statutory rape like fucking whatever like it's like she wasn't victimized but she was perfectly happy telling that story to fuck some piece of shit dude over you know what i mean like yeah she made a choice and her choice was informed and she fucking made hot scratch off of it like anyway so like kind of what i was talking about before i found out that my landlord was in the building and my partner doesn't want to have a conversation with her which i don't really blame him um basically like i think that you know part of the commentary that Kevin Smith is always having in these films is that this like 
typical male stereotype of like the sex obsessed, socially incompetent, emotionally immature dude is ineffectual and doesn't, there's no room for it. Because like at the end of the day, like I think, you know, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes are fucking smart dudes. Like Kevin Smith is definitely a smart dude. You know, like the choices that he made with dogma were very smart choices. Chasing Amy, very smart. He knows how to like caricaturize the flaws of these nineties dudes in a way that seems sincere but is also very tongue-in-cheek. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. they are sincerely dipshits, but very intentionally so, as a means of being like, you don't have to be like this. And that's kind of like my 2023 hot take takeaway is that, like, that's why, you know, Brody gets redeemed in the end. You know? He... Like he because he actually like takes a second as like, oh, Renee, I was a dick to you. You know, like he actually realizes that he actually realizes that this dude, Shannon, is an actual piece of shit who is a womanizer, who is just in it to get some. And like that was never his deal. He was just emotionally immature didn't know how to connect with his feelings, isn't entirely confident in his like relationship to his own masculinity, all of these things. Right. And then it's told through this like absolutely absurd uh, story of the mall and like ruining a dating show and all of this <laughs> shit, you know, right. and that, and, and plenty of farcical hijinks yeah. that happen. So, yeah, there it is. That's it. OK, case closed. I have a note that just says boobs. Boobs. With the exc- oh, the three boobs. Mark. Well, or just boobs in mean? general. There's just yeah, there's there, there are some I think the boobs in this movie, you know, speaking to what you just said, uh, there's boobs in this movie. But I think I almost feel like they're a nerdy homage to 80s movies, to 80s hijinks movies, because like you said, like um, Kevin Smith makes good choices. And if he's going to put more than one pair of tits in, in this movie, it's like, you know, on purpose and like, yeah, the fortune teller with the fake third nipple that's edible. Right. Um, and then Gwen Turner. Did you plays... watch the, did you watch the <clears throat> episode with her, the, the version with her where she's in her, like she's naked in the dressing room or did you see the version where she's dressed in the dressing room? Cause there's two. No, there's those are two separate scenes. Because uh, because Kevin Smith keeps on crashing into her when she's in the dressing room it happens twice, and the first one she's dressed, and the second one you see boobs, which is when I wrote boobs with an so exclamation mark. The one that you see tits in isn't mm. in one of the releases. Oh, interesting. She's fully okay. dressed in both of them. Oh yeah, I saw the one with boobs. Yeah. No, and she's like, "What the fuck?" It's yeah. real. It's actually hilarious. And this and Billy Madison, the style is fucking awesome, especially right now. It's very, 
modern at this yeah. point, right? Like yeah. very super contemporary. The hair is fantastic in both. I just like I saw a note that says Ben Affleck's suit is sick. Uh and he's wearing an ex- he's wearing a baggy suit with an extreme Henley. Like he's wearing a Henley, but like the button part is like tit eleven There's inches so- long. And I mean, I think at the time it was supposed to be like him looking dumb, like him looking foolish, right? Yeah. Like I don't think he was supposed to look cool at the time. Uh, like no, he's supposed to look like a douchebag. Right. And it's just like, I don't know. I think it's so funny. And like one of the notes that I made about costuming was LaForge's fucking hat. <laughs> he's, re- he's wearing a straw boater. Yeah. Right? Yes. And he never <laughs> talks. Like he always is like, mm, mm, mm. and like does like this, like really great, like gag of also never talking. So we have two completely silent characters who are used oh, in this yeah. like very comical way, but they're also antithetical to each other. You know, interesting, interesting. It's just, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's pretty fucking funny. And like, also just like, you know, the way, the way that they like film him running, it's like, he's, it's like so sound stagey and it's so like, just like hilarious and, you know, Stan Lee, to throw it back to Marvel, he has a cameo or had a cameo in every single Marvel movie that came out. Like that was his right. thing. Yeah. And so like his cameo. He, he can he continues to have cameos, even though he's been dead for like 10 years or whatever. Yeah, they're definitely like inserting him into stuff still, which is weird. But yeah, I just like. And then the 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 fucking shit palm of the chocolate pretzels that Brody pulls. <laughs> That's such a weird scene. It, um, and like the, the fucking dad being like so into it and like licking all of his fingers and shit. Yeah. He's, so it's, it, he's doing incredible physical acting, Michael Rooker in that scene. Yeah. And he just is like so into it and he's just keeps on having more and he's like, who don't mind if I do in this weird, like kind of sexed up, like horny for chocolate yeah. sort of way. Yeah. Did and then he's blowing chunks like the whole rest of the movie, of course. Did you know that in 2015 they announced that they were going to do a, a sequel, like a follow up of Mallrats 2? Yeah, it looks like. Kevin Smith keeps on sort of wanting to do it and hinting at it, but maybe studios are not super stoked on it. Um, then it sounded like there was going to maybe be a TV show, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where it's at with development at this point. Um, yeah, it's fucking a 28 year old movie, which is very <laughs> insane to say. Yeah. Um, oh, I, did you, Loki, I just low key wanted to go to the other mall. The other mall was very intriguing to me. Oh, the fucking yes. Ha- having grown up going to thrift stores and shit, did you ever go to this thrift store on University out by my place? That was like you know east of college. That was like a three level thrift store. Oh, probably University. Probably, and it's like you like walk in on street level University, and it just goes down the hill, and it's like three fucking levels of stuff. Uh, I will never forget it. But the building's still there. It's over by Jolar. 
if you ever went to not that you ever went to Jolar, but you would know it. It was like on university. So hold on. I'm like literally going to pull up a map of San Diego right now because I Fun. need to um, know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, let's see here. It's like, yeah, it's in between Rolando and college on university. Okay. In between Rolando and college on university, there's okay University Heights. We're a little bit further east. That's where I used to live. This is riveting content. <laughs> um, too f- no, not far enough. Okay, that's fifty fourth. College does some crazy shit over here. Although we're just like scrolling. Oh, El Cajon. I'm on El Cajon in seventieth. Okay. I gotta go. I, yeah, I'm at college in El Cajon right now. Okay, so you got to go south. Okay, College Avenue. First, go down to yeah, go <laughs> go down College and take a left to University. Oh, I missed University. I'm a little confused. Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. I'm there. And then oh, it's Helix. I went too far. Yeah, it's it's closer than Helix, right? Like closer to downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. further west. I'm it's west the, of Helix for I'm sure. I'm at the Food for Less at College uh, and it, Cholas Parkway. The, yeah, it's on the same side of university as uh, Food for Less. Okay. Oh, wait. No, because Food for Less is west of college, if I'm not. No, yeah, it is. Oh, so it's further east than co- Okay. Further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. University. Oh, the Selvin. No, that's the Croc Center. Fuck that place. My um, mom goes there. That crazy jacket. I don't know box. if you, I don't know if you can see it. It's like closer to Jolar. Ooh, it's. I just passed Burrito Santana. It's kind of like. There's La Mesa Dale. No, it's like past the Croc Center. Is it like but if you in hit between... Rolando, you've gone too far. Okay. Yeah. Oh, 70th. Fuck. I don't know if I can really. Are you sure it's on? <laughs> Call on definitely. university? Oh, definitely. Definitely. What the fuck? <laughs> this is so dumb. I mean, this is really fun, but this is so dumb. Okay, so there's that Motel uh, 6 on University and the Wiener oh, Schnitzel. Yo, and you know what? It's, it hasn't been a um, fucking, hasn't been a thrift store for years. But anyways. What <clears> fucking <throat> building is go, it? I should go street view. It's totally nondescript. But yeah, you see it from the street. And I think it's like a bike store or something now. But you see it from the street and you're like, oh, that's just a building. But it was an amazing thrift store that I grew up going at. And it, you would like, it had three levels. It was fantastic. Damn. I So my thrifting experience in San Diego was negligible because I was fucking broke all the time. I didn't really start thrifting. Wow. That broke. Dude. I mean. Like, did did your did your mom not get, like, all your clothes from the thrift store? That's, that's like, no, where I got all my clothes from. No, because my mom was fucking insane, and she would blow all of the money that she ever had on new shit only because part of her mental illness mm. was living in the past of when she was not poor and she was like an upper middle class teenager living in the Chicago suburbs. Oh, interesting. So like that's how her mental illness manifested. It was one of the ways was that she refused to want to let anybody know that she was poor. So she rarely at least when i was like when she was still buying me shit she like rarely ever bought anything secondhand 
Oh, interesting. And then my grandmother yeah. would take me shopping and like, you know, and then I would like get clothes from friends or my mom would go to the thrift store and then like bring stuff back. But I never really went thrifting. I did a oh, lot of shoplifting mom. too. So. Oh yeah. See, I, the only time I really shoplifted was from the thrift store cause it was easier. Sure. It was like lower stakes, but yeah, my mom, I mean, my mom definitely grew up very poor. And so like, I'm fairly certain my mom wore a thrift shopped thrifted dress dress to my wedding. I'm fairly certain. Like my mom looked that's fucking how, great at your that, wedding though. So that's, that's a hardcore or no, I don't think my mom even wore a dress. Actually, I can't remember what my mom looked like, but yeah. Um, she was just a thrift store hardcore, like until she, until the day she dies. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so the, yeah, so they, they get, they, um, uh, fucking Brody's girlfriend's dad keeps on getting them arrested and kicked out yep. of the mall. Um, they do some shenanigans to get away. Like they actually get like arrested by the police and are going to get dragged to jail, but they pull some shenanigans and they run away and they, but, and they have to go to a mall. So they go to like this shitty janky little mall. Which looked fucking awesome. Looked fucking awesome. So cool. I would have rather gone there, honestly. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Also, like, indoor malls are, like, sort of, were always sort of weird to me because, um, like, you know, San Diego, the two biggest malls were Horton Plaza and Grossmont. Yeah. We spent a lot of time at Grossmont Mall. I mean, I guess there was... the one in yeah, Alcohol, but I mean, yeah, that's Parkway Plaza is the only indoor mall around in San Diego. I can't think of any other indoor malls. No, my my understanding of like SD County south of 94 is really suspect suspicious, though. Like, I don't I'm I'm not very familiar. Yeah, no, I mean, there. there isn't even a mall in Lemon Grove, or at least there wasn't when we were kids. And then you have the grove. The grove is the closest thing. But that was completely defunct, like completely defunct by the time we were yeah. teenagers. It's coming back. I want to say there's yeah. some. There's like a couple. There's like a Walmart and a Target there. I want to say. I think it's coming back. They had a sick ass movie theater back in the. They day, did though, have a sick ass movie theater. Um, and then there, I never really spent any time in like National City or Chula Vista, really, because like you had to have a car to go down there. And right. Right. But they, I think that there was like a mall in National City, but I think it was outdoors too. I don't think it was an indoor mall like Parkway Plaza. Yeah. Parkway Plaza is like the only one. Horton Plaza, Horton Plaza is like defunct too. Last yeah, time I went down there, it's like they bulldoze that shit. It's like not even, doesn't even exist. Or they bulldoze like all the front area. Like Planet Hollywood does not exist. Planet Hollywood's done. All right. Fucking P, man. I ran yeah. so many scams out of that mall. <laughs> was that okay so so you said like so you just said something interesting which is like oh the main malls in san diego are grossmont and horton plaza which like horton plaza i guess i would go to sometimes because i was like a downtown hillcrest kid totally. back in high school so i would go to planet hollywood to use the bathroom um and then like i'm sure you hung out in front of planet hollywood with all those punks so back in the day I know. So it was because of pokies. That's why we were always downtown. We were me and Erica were like pokies kids. Yeah. And so we would go and 
our our deal was that we would go to Horton Plaza and we would separate and one of us would take the lower three the lower three tiers and one of us would take the upper three tiers and we would just walk around asking people for change to use the payphone mm. and this was right mm-hmm. after the payphone price was raised to 50 cents Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people would just give us a dollar and right. they're like, cause you know, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like, I hate to ask this, but like, I need to call my dad to come and pick me up. And like, I kind of accidentally spent all my money at like orange Julius or what the fuck ever bullshit excuse <laughs> we had. And uh, we would get money for the payphone, And then we would go to pokies we would split a burrito. Then we mm. would go to whatever show or party that we were going to. And then we would get some fucking decrepit 21 year old to buy us beer. And yeah. so we would get between us, we would net like usually like close to 20 bucks. Dang. And 20 bucks would get us a burrito and a 12 er. And then we'd oh, yeah. go to a fucking show that we never had to pay for because like you girls didn't really have to pay for shows yeah. at the Che very often. Yeah. And you know, fucking smoke cigarettes and just be general degenerates you know um cute how did you get to the che back then people would take the bus to the che you could take the bus Mm. you well so from hillcrest if you dressed like normal enough you could just get on the scripps bus from oh shit scripps hospital to la jolla to mm-hmm. like the UCSD campus because that was also mm-hmm. scripts. So we mm-hmm. would often just take the free bus that goes straight there from one hospital to the other hospital. Um, but like you would give us rides. Uh, we like fucking a bunch of like East County kids had cars. Like, do you remember that dude CJ who sold drugs? Yeah. That piece of shit. Totally. Yeah. Uh, he like drove a lot of people a lot of the time. Um, there was another like, like small East East County contingent that all had cars. Dane, Danny Munoz, yeah, Dane, Dane, David, Danny, all those guys. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that's, that's how. And then, uh, yeah, I think I, I always drove or got a ride. I don't think I ever took like the bus out there. I, you know, you would take like the trolley to Soma from Grossmont Mall or you'd take the 81, but yeah. Soma had already, Soma had pretty much already closed by the time I started going to shows. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so like there was that fucking, the scene up in Costa Mesa. Is that where it was? Mira, Mira, Mira Mesa. Mesa. And then there was the like community center that had shows. Also, Danae had a car, so she did a lot of driving. If you could Just, stand to hang out with Danae, oh then my you, God. You could ride Danae. <laughs> I never caught into Danae. Everyone seemed to love her. And I was like, I don't know. This person seems like a huckster. She was a huckster. Know. And yeah. she turned out to be a really fucking bad friend. And talked a lot of talked about a lot of shit that I told her that she really had no business sharing. And yeah, she's, she seemed fucking messy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're all a little bit messy back then, but I was just, I didn't feel comfortable around her. No, she was extra messy. And then like, I think Javi had a car. Like there were a bunch of people who had cars and it's all very, that whole time in my life is very cloudy 
I was drunk a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a lot. Well, while we're on the subject, we might as well. And since we're kind of slowing down on, on the mall rats, do you want to talk about your your relationship as or your identity as a mall rat or like your your relationship to the mall? Because I would say Grossmont Grossmont Mall would be the important starting point. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my first introduction to the like our crew of mall rats was Grossmont Mall. I think I was maybe in the seventh grade. Oh, dear. Yeah. 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 Uh, Erica and I went to Parkway Middle School which was just on the other hill from Grossmont. And, you know, we started hanging out because she was hanging out with Alex Osterhout and Alex knew Jeff. And no, Vance, Vance Osterhout. Vance Osterhout? I thought his name was Alex. This like my entire. You're. You're, I think you're conflating two different people, like first and last. Alex, the d- annoying straight edge guy. Perhaps. There's Vance Osterhout, who I went to high school with at uni, but then he transferred to West. Was it West Hills? West Hills. I don't know. Yeah, that was Vance Osterhout. Oh. And then he has a younger sister named Erica, who's like yes, a bass player in a metal band. That's cool. Good for yeah. her. She grew up to be somebody cool, ish. Yeah, that rules. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, at least that was her deal when I would look at her on social media like ten years ago or whatever. I, she's <laughs> probably in data analytics now or something. Okay. No, so actually, actually, this is what happened. Jeff and Erica met because they both lived in Spring Valley. Mm-hmm. Jeff introduced Erica to everyone. Vincent, uh-huh. Dane, Danny. You were hanging out, but I don't remember you being really around until we were already deeply embedded with that crew. I think I went to Portland and then I no, No, because I met you on my 16th birthday. So I was like 19. Yeah. Uh, I went to Portland kind of a little bit after that, but I think I had already left high school by the time, or I was about to leave San Diego by the time you went to Portland. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, all of a sudden there was just these girls who were like three years younger than us. And I was like, can't we hang out with women our own age? Like what? (laughs) What what, (laughs) There weren't any. I was like, why are we hanging out with 16 year old girls? This is not, I mean, you guys are great. You've been one of my best friends for like, you know, (laughs) longer than you haven't at this point. Uh, And I'm I'm glad to have met you and like, you know, Toby and Erica and all that. But I was like, why are we hanging out with like 16 year old people? Like this isn't, we we gotta, why? We can't, we can't do this, you know? But yeah. um, And I was like, why are you dating? Why are you dating these 16 year old girls? This is like not even legal. Yeah. Like what, what's, what is going on here? Yeah. It was just not, it was not great. It was, but then you and I actually became actual friends, which was Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, there was various bouts of drama with everyone. Yeah. So much drama. Uh, You know, and it was like, we were mall rats, but we were also weirdly like kind of like valley rats because we would like, because Erica's mom was like non-existent. So her house just ended up becoming like the party house. 
So like, you know, we just threw like these massive ragers all the fucking time. And like, that's how I met like everybody that is still around, you know, Robbie, everybody like, and it was just this really weird, crazy thing. Like, and every group of people, every like sub genre of person came through the mall, basically like, there are there are like you know we would go to that stupid Rubio's with like a dollar thirty five and get like these tortillas. those the large tortillas and then just raid their fucking salsa bar. Yeah, you would just get a tortilla mm-hmm. and then you would just pour salsa in it and wrap that shit up and spicy carrots and eat it. And eat it. Yeah, if you if you were like balling out, you would get a side order of beans. Yep. Yeah. And then that was like, oh, fuck, like you had a little bit of like you had some extra money left over. Yeah. Or like, yeah, some person you were spanging and some person like gave you extra money and you're like, oh, fuck, I could get beans. Yes. Or white sauce. Sometimes you get white sauce. That's really good, too. Yeah. And that's just like when I like when I think about that, it's like and the fucked up thing is, is like, you know, pretty much everyone except for me and Erica actually had like halfway decent home lives. Oh, yeah. Like I, if I was doing this shit, it was like my fuck, my fucking Catholic school uniform was tucked away in my book bag. Yeah. Like if I was like out there spanging. Right. Yeah. But like I was like legitimately poor. And there were times where literally all I ate that day was one of those fucking tortillas. Yeah. But like I didn't tell anybody about that because like, you know, I didn't want to be like. I didn't I don't know. I was like ashamed of my poverty because that's the house that I was raised in. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see how you would be, obviously, but I don't I don't think it's, it would have been necessary because a lot of people were, I don't know, were people poor? Maybe I just assumed people were poor. I don't know, like, fucking, didn't, have my... didn't Danny's parents live, like, on Mount Helix or something? No, Danny's parents were, like, are divorced, and his mom, had, his mom he, had, he had a very, like, middle-class, like, upbringing, I think, I don't know. Last time I visited, last time I stayed at Danny's house, his mom had like an okay house, like in Santee or El Cajon or somewhere like that. Yeah. Wasn't anything that fancy. You might be thinking of my friend, Mike Burke, whose yes. house is well, low key on Mount Helix. Well, clear, clear I remember because didn't Mike Burke have, we went to his house once and didn't his parents have like one of those garages that could fit an RV in it? It was like, no, so no. some, one of your friends lived in one of those crazy fucked up houses that was like he, super fancy His his house is like definitely super nice. Actually, his house and Rachel's parents' house are like, I want to say they're like the same architect, just the same like McMansion, yeah, like suburban architect architecture, yeah, with like a fucking giant foyer and like you know sort of weird Spanish architecture shit. But yeah, um, and then I had this. So like the mall was like the East County thing. Like all the East County kids did the mall. That was like where if you didn't know where anyone was, if nobody was home when you made your calls before you left the house, (laughs) you just went to the mall and waited for people to show up. Yeah. Like that was just like an instinctual thing that was built into our like, you know, growing up. And then when I moved to Normal Heights, I stopped doing that. And I yeah. started hanging out with a bunch of like the normal heights punks. Right. And that was like a totally different 
crew and vibe and scene and everything. And it was like, I don't know. It was a growing up in San Diego was fucking weird. It was just See, I really knew, weird. I knew the North Park kids because because I went to uni, yeah. I went to Catholic school. And a lot of those kids were like what we call peace punks mm-hmm. from Poway. Punks who wear brown. And they all, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Catholic school kids also, but like lived in Poway, but they w- they hung out downtown and they always posted up in front of Planet Hollywood downtown or they would hang out at like Old Town or Hillcrest. Yeah. And would go to like shows and like protests and shit. Yep. And we're talking like Jenny Winningham. Yep. Mikey. Uh, John, uh, yeah, John. Yeah, exactly. John Stewart was yep. also of that crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, at one point, like I knew the East County kids from Grossmont and going to so and shit. But I also knew these other kids who were like, although they were more affluent, also were more underground in certain right. ways at the same time. Yes. Well, you and threw that like, party. You threw that party when you got back from London. That's right. And that's what brought everyone together. That's what. That yeah. was the that was the impetus for everyone becoming friends. That yeah, that's right. You're welcome, because San Diego. That was that was like really the first time that I had met a bunch of North any of the North Park punks, and like they all were like, "You're one of us now, dude!" Like, yeah, you're not a fucking East County kid anymore. Like, you you have to hang out with us now. And like we right. had that like weird pickup game of basketball, and then there was the fucking drunken boxing in the backyard. <laughs> that was like, uh, you know, I I hate like glory day shit, but that was a that was a pretty good party. It was a fucking great party. Say. It was, yep. it was wild. It was hectic. There was so much fucking drama. Mm. Um, I might have almost or did break Toby's nose. <laughs> did you and toby box yeah yeah i don't know if you broke their nose we there was blood them. and a lot of it and i do remember that shit i felt really bad and i think you may have given toby a taste for blood because like they i don't know if they still do it now you know we're yeah. a little bit older now but like they would go around boxing fools oh i also like, did i think that the, that like unlocked a thing in me where i just would like start punching people in the face yeah, I went through a phase where I would literally just punch people in the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think like I think that Danny just like straight laid someone out like one punch laid someone out that you like. No. I would. Do you remember no, it this? was it was Ryan Elrod laid out Dane. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, my God. And. Dude, have you kept up with Ryan Elrod at all? No. He fucking no. moved to Italy. Oh, wow. And became a, like, heirloom shoemaker. No, Reed Elrod. Reed did it? It was Reed? Okay. It's His little Reed. brother. That's yeah. right. One of the Elrods. Yeah. God. So that's, that's my, that's my, that's, that's, that was Mallrats for me. Like, that's why it was so that fucking was- relatable. Yeah, yeah, just showing that feeling in the movie where you're like, you show up and you see like the one dude and you're like, hey, what's going on over there? And they just like give you the information Uh and shit spirals out of control. Like you would show up and get the lay of the land and you're like, all right, where's Metalhead Mike? Oh, Metalhead Mike did meth for three days and he's passed out (laughs) in the chair at Barnes and Nobles. (laughs) 
So like, don't be around when he wakes up because he'll be on a warpath. Uh huh. Uh, who's getting fucked up in the tunnels? Yep. You know who's doing a belly button piercing over by the statue? Uh huh. Who's got money? Who's got beer? Yep. You know what who, show are we going to later? What cars are here? <clears throat> Who can fit into which ones? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. didn't Dane drive like some like piece of shit like red fucking like Corolla or something that was like Dane? Dane had a a Camry that was passed down to him from his mom. Yep. A blue Camry, and then he sold that to Jeff. Uh, yeah, sold that to Jeff. And then it promptly broke down. And then because his mom had bought him like a Nissan Sentra. I don't know why I remember all this shit. Like a two-door manual red Nissan Sentra. Yeah. And then you had the Volvo. I had a sick-ass Volvo. That car yeah. fucking ruled. Yeah. Many, a, many a time we spent in that driving around yeah. in that fucking car. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just a weird time. A weird place. It's like. Because we have that, we are of that weird middling generation that grew up without the internet and without cell phones and then got them very quickly into our 20s. Mm -hmm. And that kind of changed the way that people fucking hung out, you know, like. Absolutely. So like we had this very like analog childhood or teenage years and then have yeah, like 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 uh calling someone collect and just laying out all the information in, in, in the in the message that yep. it sends yep. <laughs> yep. Or, or like i don't know orion or someone would do some weird shit in the early internet where they'd get like a credit card number online or something and yeah. then or like a phone card yep number mm-hmm God. And then so there would be like a phone card number that you if you could memorize it, you could always use it. Some fucking weird shit like that. Those punks were so sketchy. Like there's a lot of. Yeah. Like Greasy Joe and his fake IDs. Uh, just like weird, really fucking weird shit. And it was kind of like this, like we it was like a weird little like criminal gang. We were a gang like we had yeah, somebody. We yeah. had somebody who could we I, we had a guy for everything. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, one time somebody brought a keg without a tap to Erica's mom's first apartment in Spring Valley. And they tried to tap it with a hammer and it like fucking exploded everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, like... We might have to like beep out everybody's names since we didn't get everybody's permission to be in our fucking pod. But like just like wild ass shit. There was a party that she threw where Jeff was like very much on his like anarchist bent, like very, very hard on that. And the cops showed up and he's like screaming shit at them about our rights through the door at the cops. But like kids are like fleeing in every direction jumping over the fences through walls and then the cops leave and everyone has just been hiding in the neighborhood and just comes back yeah yeah just absolutely asinine i, I love a teenager scramble oh my god just that's, that's so good so many teens scrambling everywhere <laughs> all the time yeah I got really good at talking to the cops, I think, from those experiences because I've never had a party get broken up. 
Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. Never. I've been told That's... to keep it down, but I've never been. I've never gotten a ticket, and I've never had a party be broken up. That's pretty good. Yeah. I never got a ticket from a party either. I never understood it. You know, my joke is always like, "You're gonna take away my house license?" That's yeah. a dumb joke. I don't know. I'm just gonna bleep that out. I'm just gonna cut that out. But yeah, um, that's good. But yeah, the mall, Grossmont Mall, very formative. Absolutely. We're really, we're really belaboring the point. But yeah, uh, anything else to say about? Oh, there's a red um, thing. Where they reference the comic book code? Oh, like how at some like point how the um, comic books are graded? Is that what no. you're talking about? I can't remember because I saw this movie like a week ago, so I already can't remember what this reference is. But I have a good note about it. What does it say? Um, I think Stan Lee. Stan Lee is talking to Brody. Yep, about relationships. About something about relationships. Yep, and he makes like a reference to something and Brody's like I don't know what you mean and he's like oh that was like a comic book code thing and the comic book code was I believe and if anyone who's listening if anyone will ever listen and they know about comic books probably screaming at their uh, steering wheel right now but Mm -hmm. um, it was like Batman and Robin were too gay Mm. and and they really had to like butch it up and make it like because they would like sleep in the same bed and stuff And, and I think I think Batman and Robin were, were kind of gay coded and it was like, no, this is too gay. You have to like not do it. And it, it's a, a very smart reference to the fact that Brody and TS are kind of gay for each other. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're each other's most successful relationship. Pretty much. Exactly. You know? Yeah. They, they have the most charisma, the most charisma sexually and like in, intimately is between them. There's a lot of like, that's a lot of that in these movies from the mid from 1995 that I'm noticing is like shitty young men can only be intimate with other shitty young men and, and don't know how to have intimate relationships with women. Right. And then it was normalized through the bromance, Mm. you know, the bromance genre. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, that is very true. Like, the idea of being intimate and fragile and vulnerable with women was like so appalling that the only people that they could, they felt like they could do that with was guys, but it was also super coded as like, I'm not gay, but you know, like that whole fucking shtick. Right. No homo. Yeah. I mean, you you see like TS and Brody sitting next to each other and smiling at each other. Um, and you see Brody when Brody when we first meet Jay and Silent Bob, Brody is like butting heads with mm-hmm. Jason Muse. Yeah. Like they're talking to each other face to face with their foreheads pressed against each yeah. other. And but it's like smiling. also weirdly aggressive. It is, but it's like so intimate. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like yeah, Jay keeps on like slapping shit out of Bob's hands, but when they walk away, like Jason has like his arm around Bob's waist uh-huh. and it's just like lots of, uh, lots of homoeroticism. Yeah. So good job, Kevin Smith for pointing that out. I think he's, I think he's definitely kind of like sending that aspect up of, of society. He's sort of like uncovering that aspect of society. 100%. At the time. 
Yeah. Who knew that we would find so much uh, philosophical <laughs> um, contemplation in a fucking movie about a bunch of dipshits hanging out at the mall? Maybe absolutely. Maybe it's easier for us because of our own experience with the mall and being like in a group of ne'er do wells in that age yeah. range. Yeah. Uh, general dipshits. I thought that I found the language. Uh, Shakespearean at times did you ever happen to notice that like lots of uh, definitely like weird turns of phrase felt Shakespearean there's uh, there was definitely like a delivery sort of thing about it like you know there's like the like Brody plays the like he plays like if we're gonna tie it into Shakespeare uh, he very much plays like the sort of Mercutio of the story, like from Romeo and Juliet, like Mercutio's role is very explanatory, but it's also very like, uh, like it's very like tender and the love that he has for Romeo is like very, um, very like very protective and, and, and like, you know, uh, he wants to like, he like always wants there's like a there's a type it's a type of role that Shakespeare was really famous for that everyone has that every single one of his plays had, particularly the comedies, but some of the tragedies of tragedies as well, like uh, Taming of the Shrew has one in like Much Ado About Nothing. They all have this one character who interacts with everyone and is sort of liked by everyone, but then also has this role of like sort of exposition going that is to the audience, but it's exposition exposition of what's happening to characters. Right. And that's sort of like the role that Brody has. Almost like a fool of sorts. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, let's wrap up this fucking movie. It's been almost three hours. Let's get this shit over. With. <laughs> We're never gonna make a short one. <laughs> no, never. Um, okay. Okay. You gave it a 260 of enjoyability. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. I'm going to be a little bit more generous, I think. I think I'm going to mm. be right around that, like, 350 range. Because, like, it's funny. Like, there are gags in this movie that are, like, hilarious. Yeah. You know, the, like, the the wall the head through the wall gag hilarious the fucking getting chased by lafours throughout the mall is hilarious like yeah. you know there are moments where it's like really fucking funny yeah veracity I, I, yeah i mean i think we've talked yeah the, i mean the biggest thing we've talked about in this film is it's veracity is like you know it's it's take on on modern life and gender dynamics and yeah. man childs and toxic masculinity and shit, right? Yeah, I mean, it nails all that stuff. The only stuff it doesn't yeah. nail is like the hijinks, right? Like none of that's actually realistic. But like right. all of the interpersonal shit is like super realistic. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a a three. I'm, I'm gonna go three fifty again. I'm gonna give it three, like a three clean three fifty. Tight. Immersiveness. I would argue that. For me today, it's not nearly as immersive as it was for me when I was a teenager. Hmm. Um, but like, I'm gonna go four twelve. 
<laughs> okay. Cool. Not quite 450, not quite 350. We're going to go 412. 412. Okay, for a grand total of 1112 points yep. from Beth. Um, where and what arena would you watch it again? Do you think? Um, I would say definitely the revival theater. That would be like fucking like super fun. I think it would be really fun to do like if there was like a a clerk small rats yeah chasing Amy yeah thing. I think that would be even if there wasn't like anybody talking about it i think that that would be super fucking fun but i think it would be way way more fun if there was like people talking about it because i honestly would love to hear about how they what they were thinking when they were filming it and like how they reflect back on it that's why like i kind of really secretly hope that maybe a mall rats 2 will happen because, like, maybe it will be reflective of some of the things that we talked about, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Expanding know. on some, some of those themes, yeah. for sure. Well. All right. We were much we closer this time, in our opinions. <laughs> uh, you think so? Let me look back. Yes. Oh, as opposed to last time? Yeah. Nine, I, I scored it 995. You scored it 1112. Um, as opposed to last time where there was, like, a fucking... 700-point gap. Or something. 400 point, yeah. yeah, 400 point cap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same, same here. I would definitely watch it um, at a revival theater. I don't think I would stream. Actually, I might stream this movie. Maybe a drunk at a party, I would say. Mm, yeah. Yep. Put it on would be yep. fun. That would be fun. Uh, maybe on TV with commercials, like if I'm like cleaning the house. Ugh, I fucking but, hate commercials. I would. Put yeah, it, I mean, I would. I, I would stream it like in that same regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even own a television, so oh. I, I don't know when I would ever watch commercials. But yeah, revival theater for sure. Like in a marathon with other those other like that core group of Kevin Smith movies, and specifically like if Kevin Smith or Jason Mewes were talking. Oh yeah, a hundred percent would be. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, this has been We're Spanning Time. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Please do all the things you're supposed to do to a podcast, uh, which as a listener, I certainly never do. And I assume Beth does not either. Beth, I do, you, like, do rate. rate do I rate really? them. I rarely review them, but I do rate them. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't be bothered, but I should because it doesn't co- it's like an apology. It doesn't cost you anything. Indeed. Um, and in case you need to be reminded, I'll tell you what you need is a fatty boom batty blunt. Then I guarantee you see a sailboat, an ocean, and maybe even some of them big titted mermaids doing some of that lesbian shit. Look at me, look at me, you sloppy bitch. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. All right. Beth Martini, thank you. Thanks, Bud Casino. I'm glad we do this. It really fills my heart with a lot of joy. <laughs> I'm glad we do this too and I feel like uh, yeah this is fun do you, you enjoy it? I really do I'm lost the